Welcome Digital Difference Makers. Today I have with me Amanda Ferjuel, who is a business coach and business consultant. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Do you want to give everyone who doesn't know you yet a quick intro into who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I, as you said, I'm Amanda Ferjuel. I own AF Consulting Team, which is a business coaching and consulting firm. In addition to that, I am a serial entrepreneur. So I own a couple of different dance studios out of um, Hawaii. I'm currently based in, in Texas, but my, my studios are in Hawaii. I have a, a lifestyle and clothing brand. I, I own multiple businesses, bought and sold businesses over the years. I also recently wrote a book with my partner who is in um, Thailand. And I just, I serial entrepreneur have been for 20 plus years, always working for myself. And I absolutely love, love, love teaching business owners how to step into their own business the way they want to. It's not just about making a dollar. It's about making a difference and about making their passion come to life. And I just love teaching other people how to make the best out of their lives and their businesses. So what came first out of all of the different businesses and everything Gosh. that you had? What was your sort of step into being an entrepreneur? So my step into entrepreneurship, I, I always kind of joke that I was kind of like that hustler kid on the side of the street, like slinging lemonade, but also like, can I sell anything in my mom's kitchen that she won't notice? Like maybe I'll sell some candy <laughs> out of the side, or maybe I'll like make some sandwiches and try to sell those too. So yeah. I always kind of had that bootstrappy entrepreneurial side of me, even if I, I never really under... I never thought I would go into business. Honestly, if you had told me 20 years ago that I was going to be a business owner and an entrepreneur, I would have been like, uh, that's, that's not going to happen because I, I never, I always thought you had to go to school to be in business. I always thought you have to go get your MBA and have this track and go through economics and business and, and take all these courses. And I took courses in that and I, I kind of hated them. I hated them. They were so boring and they didn't really inspire me to want to be in business. And I, I always thought that's what I needed to do because um, I was, I mean, I went to school, a, a liberal arts education and I have multiple degrees and, and none of them really translated into, you know, like I'm not going to med school anymore. So I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to law school. So I'm not gonna be a lawyer. So in order to be successful, I should get a business degree, but I hated it. And that made me think that business wasn't something I was going to do. But then after I graduated from college, I worked for many years as a, a television producer and on the side, I always had another job. Like, even though I was doing great as a producer, I was making plenty of money and I, I loved it. And I was working the most ridiculous hours. Anybody who works in the television industry knows that you work ridiculous hours and it's sort of like everything for three months and then nothing for a while. But <clears throat> I always had something else. So when I was a television producer, I started teaching fitness classes on the side. And the big joke was that the only reason why I taught it was that I wasn't going to work out unless I was getting paid to do it. So I'm going to teach fitness classes so that now I can get paid <laughs> to work out. And that's the only reason I'm going to be healthy is because I'm getting paid to do it. And it's like yeah. this big joke that anytime I want to have a hobby, I have to be paid for it. And that kind of started this whole routine of having these side jobs that I eventually parlayed into businesses. But even still, if I look back in college, I did the same thing. I was, I worked through college. So I had multiple jobs in college. I was you know, working as a librarian. I worked as a nanny. I worked as a resident advisor. And I also started a business there booking gigs for local bands. And I never thought of it as a business. I mean, I, but it was, I mean, I got local 
bands at the time and we, we scheduled them to tour from, from university to university. And I took a, a percentage as their booking agent. Like that was a totally normal thing for an 18 year old to do. Uh, so that kind of really segued into me having that kind of spirit of always hustling on the side for something. And then a few years after doing production, I, I had a little, we'll call it a run-in with my, my boss at the time. And it just kind of set me over the edge. And I was like, we're done now. I'm done. I'm done working for someone else. And I'm just going to dive headfirst and headlong into my side gig at the time. And I just pushed it into a real job and then opened up, bought out, started a partner, bought out my partner, took over that business, started another business while I was doing that one and just kind of snowballed into multiple um, buying and selling and creating businesses. And I just don't see myself stopping. It's, it's been kind of a, my whole family pretty much thinks it's a joke that I, I don't have one job. I just, I just keep adding businesses. I, I think right now I have eight businesses that I run and I, I just, I can't, even if I won the lottery tomorrow and won $400 million, I would still keep buying and selling and creating businesses because I just love it. I love the feeling of starting something new and creating something from nothing and bringing a service to people that they may not even know have known they needed. So I just, I love that, that rush of creating something. Yeah. I, I like that look on it too. I mean, I was talking to one of the, um, guys I've interviewed on here a little while ago, Callum Robinson, and he had done everything that you're supposed to do in business of he'd grown the business enough, put all the people in the right places and removed himself from the business. And he was like, you know, I was playing Xbox every day and, you know, could really do whatever I want. He's like, I wasn't happy. So he's like, I've put myself back into the business. Like I, and I, and I agree, I haven't had, I haven't ever, I sort of always known that. So I haven't ever looked to take myself out of the business. But yeah, I, I think that that's looked on differently from people. Like it, it's kind of like you have to have the business that works for you. It's completely passive income and you just sit on a beach all day, yeah. which yes. there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Yeah. But like, there's also love working love what you do like I think that's admirable well thank you I think so too I, I think I'm not saying I don't like to travel and sit on the beach and have a cocktail like that's not what I'm saying obviously those are great things that I do yeah. do but I think I mean people say all the time that if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life and I disagree I think if you do what you love you'll work every day of your life because you love it so much you will work all the time and I I think it's unique being someone who loves to work. I'm a workaholic and I couldn't be anything other than that. I just love it. And I think that there is a certain group of people who do genuinely enjoy their work and not in that stressed out. If I don't work, I'm not going to make X amount of dollars kind of way. I think it's different because some people definitely are money driven and the stress of not making that quota gets to you, but I am not money driven. I am passion driven and I am action driven and learning driven. And I think that that changes that dynamic because when you're always chasing a dollar and if, if that's your, and then there's nothing wrong with chasing money. I mean, obviously I work, I have businesses to make money. I'm not saying that everything I do is pro bono, but it's just a different 
a different motivation. And if you're always chasing dollars, then you do see that your worth is based upon the dollar that you're making. And if you aren't living that Instagram lifestyle of jetting off to, you know, wherever Greece every weekend and, and living the life and just living passively, that that's the only thing, the only way that measures success. And I think that that's, you know, unattainable for many people because it's not a real success that people really want because if everybody was off in Greece, you know, on a yacht, like what would get done in the world? Like nobody, there's a lot of things that would fall apart if we all suddenly had yachts in Greece and, and, um, there has to be somebody, I mean, look at people like Elon Musk. I mean, he's got more money than anybody I've ever can even imagine. And he's still working because he likes to do it. I'm sure there's other reasons too, but I mean, I don't know him personally. Maybe he's a horrible person. I don't know, but I do notice that he makes a lot of money and still works. A lot of people, I mean, look at all these actors in the world. Like they make so much money, more money than you could ever live off of, but they continue to work, not just because of the money it's for a passionate reason as well so that i think that's yeah really helps me yeah i mean i, I was even thinking I, I i've i've thought the same thing around um a lot of the higher up business people that we see you know, alex Lamozzi, russell brunson all, all of these people that are very front-facing and, and in content i was like they're producing so much content and like mm. you know joe blow person that's making five or $10,000 a month is saying, oh, I want to get to the stage where I won't have to do that. Or I, you know, I, I don't want to have to do all of the marketing and, and work in the business and those sort of things. And it's mm-hmm. achievable at, at some level, but I think, you know, there's some evidence that if these guys are doing all that work, if they're still putting all this effort into posting and pro- the fact is probably not effort for them anymore. Yeah. To just be able to produce that and speak about what they're really passionate about. True. So but I just, you get I, to that point where you, you do build a team, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs start out as solopreneurs. I started out as a solopreneur, but now I have a team of people that help me. I don't, um, even on the jobs that I, the, the positions I have where I feel like it's a one woman show, there's still people that, I mean, there's other people. It's not just me anymore. And I think people like, you know, Oprah and Elon Musk, and I am not comparing myself to them on any spectrum, but they're able to get to that point where they're creating all the big picture ideas. And I think that's what I kind of try to teach a lot of my, of my clients is that it's about getting to the big picture. You want to get a pla- to a place in your business where you're not working on every tiny little detail of your business that you've set up systems in place so that those systems and those people run the day-to-day so that you can focus on the big picture and reap those rewards and still be passionate within your business. But you're focusing on the things that are uniquely you in the business, the things that made the business worth having from the start. And that's what I think when you get to the, when you look at those upper level, like highly functioning, just crazy successful business people in the world is they are at that level where they're really more in that seat of overseeing the big picture dream ideas. And then they have a team of people set up in place to help facilitate that. I mean, they, they, they're not one woman or one man shows by all means, any means. Yeah. No, no, not at all. And with all of those different businesses that you've had, like what, what was the, at what point did you step into being a business coach and helping other people? I always, well, I always kind of did it. So I, I like to, 
share with other people. I don't, I, I, it's, I always get crap from other people, other colleagues and coworkers, because I will share way too much information, things I, I should definitely get paid for, but I just like to talk about it because I want people to succeed. I genuinely want people to succeed in their endeavors. And I don't really consider anybody to be competition. In fact, in a lot of my businesses, I have promoted and endorsed and helped start my employees and my contractors to start their own businesses. And I helped them do it. And I have nothing against, like, I don't want somebody to look at my business and be like, oh, I can't leave because Amanda is going to rain down on me and, you know, get mad at me, or I'm going to have to be look at her lawyers for the no compete. I don't ever want it to be like that. I mean, obviously they sign contracts, but for me, I'm more interested in supporting their dreams and supporting them opening their own businesses than trying to compete with them. Because to me, I mean, I understand what competition is. I am a competitive person, but I don't see anybody as direct competition because we're all uniquely in our own businesses. And so I want to facilitate that. So I've always been encouraging people to start their own businesses, coaching them on things that work for me or things that really did not work for me. I, I, I've had some beautifully epic fails in some of my business endeavors and they were the best teachers. And so I want people to learn from my horrible, horrible mistakes and not make those same mistakes. So I've always been doing it in the background, but I've only been doing it exclusively like as my what I would call my main job or the one that I'm the most passionate about currently for a couple of years. So although I've been doing it for probably at least 12 years on and off, just telling people what not to do, like, don't, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. Don't, don't write a $50,000 hot check just accidentally. Like don't do those things. Uh, but for legal purposes and actually having the contracts up and, and all the forms filed with the government about a little over two years. So, okay. And what was the uh, $50,000 hot check that you wrote? Okay. This is, I just have to tell, this is one of the stories I tell all of my clients. Don't be like me. I, I'm a big numbers person. I, I love to look at the books. I love to look at the numbers, um, but I'm not a math person. So, uh, and I don't, I don't just magically do numbers in my head. I must have a calculator. I, I'm not a math person. I'm a numbers person, but not a math person. So I was in the middle of, it was one of those months where I just had a bunch of bills coming in at the same time. And I had to write a check for $50,000 to do, to take care of some investments and, and move some stuff around. And I wrote the check and I was like, I looked, I opened the bank account. I was like, oh, we got plenty of money in the bank. No problem. I'll write this check, like done deal, seal deal, walk away. Didn't even think about it. Just, we had plenty of money in the bank. I get a call several hours later from my banker and she's like, uh, do you know that your account is like $40,000 in the negative? And I'm like, what do you mean? I checked it this morning. We had plenty of money. I didn't realize that I had a bunch of checks that I had written that hadn't cleared yet because I didn't, hadn't reconciled the books. And I was like, ah, oh, we have the money, but I had all these checks that I'd written previously that had just been late to clear. And so I didn't have that money in the bank. And I, I wrote this $50,000 check that was a totally a hot check because I didn't take the time to reconcile my books that month. I didn't check the numbers and just, I mean, in vaguely in my head, I knew I had these, these other expenses that should have gone through, but I didn't think that they hadn't gone through yet because it had been mm. you know, like four weeks and you just kind of assume like, ah, it's gone through. 
No, it hadn't. So I always want to tell my clients, no matter what, check if you're writing a large check, particularly, make sure the money is correct. Make sure you're accurate and have an amazing, amazing, amazing connection with your banker so that your banker does see those things and flag you and you don't get fined the ridiculous bank fees. Because I was able, luckily, I got it in time that I was able to transfer money from another account to that account and it all worked out fine. But you know, if I hadn't had a, a communication and connection with my banker, I would have been screwed with crazy fees. And then it would have knocked my credit, both with my company as well as just my personal credit and just the pride of having written a hot check when you have the money is even worse. So it wasn't like the worst case scenario story where like I was now in debt $50,000, but it was a stupid, stupid mistake that could easily have been remedied by just looking for an extra 10 minutes to see if I had properly filed everything in my books. And yeah, I have an accountant and I have a bookkeeper, but you know, things slip and they're only coming in every so often to check things. And it's your responsibility as the person writing the checks to make sure you're not doing stupid things. So well, it's, it's, it is an easy mistake to make. Like uh, we don't really have checks here in Australia. I mean, I, I'm sure we do, but like they're not as commonly used as I think that they're used in America. Like it, sure. it still sounds like they're very common there. So and this like, brand, it was like, this was like 10, 15 years ago. So obviously okay. yeah. it was more prevalent now. Yeah. Now it's much more electronic based, but back then in the olden days. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. it, yeah, it, it goes to show you how look, how important looking at your numbers is and everything. I mean, like, and I, I on a different level, I remember when, you know, I was running e-commerce businesses with a friend of mine and us being, you know, fresh out of school at the time and, and feeling pretty hot about stuff. Like we were doing really well revenue wise, mm -hmm. but we were breaking even or losing money each month, you know, yeah. because we weren't profitable simply, you know, from some really, really simple um, tweaks that we, Absolutely. that we eventually made, like it was stuff like call up the manufacturer and half, you know, the cost of goods and, you know, market a little bit better and an upsell and boom, we were fine. But like for a, a long time, we were just looking at, oh, thousand dollars, you know, $2,000 is coming yeah. in every day. Like we're, you know, we'll be millionaires in the next two months. Like we're, we're cruising, you know, but yes. wasn't until we looked at, how can we actually thing. don't have any of this money in the bank account? <laughs> yeah, no, and I think it's a common mistake that a lot of new business owners make. They're mistaking that that cash in the bank or cash flow. Like they don't understand where their money is coming from. And, and I, at least a lot of my clients here, there is that that tendency for a business owner not to pay themselves, which I think is ludicrous. I think it's one of the things I do first in a business is make sure that the business owner is paying themselves. Because when you get in this small business mentality, you think like, oh, well, I need to take care of the business first. And my, my pay is secondary. Like I'll, I'll take the profits at the end of the year. But if you don't factor in for those profits from the beginning, you're going to find that the money runs out really quickly. And suddenly you look at your books and you're like, oh, I, we made all this money. Where is the money? Like, why don't I have any money? And it, it's, you do have to look at it. It's one of my favorite things to do. And it's such a geeky thing to like, but I just will totally nerd out on like looking at somebody's spreadsheets like, Ooh, 
let me see your, your profit and loss statements. Let me see your balance sheets. Like this is, and like that excites me and it's just totally sad and pathetic, but I love it. I love looking no, I, at the numbers I, and telling just, people. I think we're all, we're all business is. nerds. Like you just, oh, yeah. you get, nerd. you're interested in the numbers, like any like new, like actually good software that comes out. Like, you know, there's one that I'm looking at. The, I, I'm not typically too driven by software because I sort of look at stuff and go, eh, it's, not good enough you know it's an okay feature that you know one good one comes across in a blue moon and i'm i'm a complete nerd about it oh, um yeah. Totally. I, yeah i just think that's i just think that's us <laughs> yeah once you get into business you just get excited about that stuff no for sure i think that we're a weird breed it's fine i'm okay with that i'm okay with being a little bit weird but i think that's one of the things that when people get into business not everybody is into that yet. I think it takes a while, unless you you have that sort of business mindset to start out. It's so easy to get sidetracked by all the things that are fun, like, oh, I'm going to pick my color schemes and like this, this passion project here and this passion project there. And you get so excited about the parts of your business that made you want to start a business anyway. And you forget that you have to run your business like a business and not like a hobby. And there's a lot that goes into that, which is why there is such, you know, that the statistics of how few small businesses make it in the first one to five years, because your passion can only get you so far. Eventually you have to look at the whole picture of a business. And I, that's usually where I come in and, and just, um, yeah, I don't want to say clean house, like I'm firing people, but I, I just come in and you just look and see. And sometimes it does take somebody, an outside person to just come in and be like, Oh, did you mean to do this? Did you know you were doing this? Is this, did, was this all part of your plan? Like clue me out of the plan. And it, it's always surprising to me how quickly you can get someone to where they want to be if they have, if they put those action steps in place. And I'm, there is a lot of trial and error. Every business is very different. So I, I think it drives me nuts when I see these like, Facebook ads that are like, I can get you 10,000 extra dollars this month. Like take this one webinar and you're going to make $10,000 this month. I'm like, okay, I'll take your webinar. Cause I'm curious to think what you think is going to make someone $10,000, but I know it won't because every business is different. And there are some things that are universal. So, you know, pay your taxes, don't pay this, that, and the other fee. Like there are some things that are universal across all businesses, but every business is different. And I, I really think that you can waste a lot of time Google searching your life away and just trying to figure out the solution, the, the unique solution for your unique problem, but it's really hard. It's, it takes a lot of thought and time and effort for sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's an interesting one like that. I agree. Like every business, every, like even each like niche is so mm -hmm. different. Like I did a YouTube video recently around, niching down and it was like you can't really serve either and get into the weeds of something of like all of the different nuances if you're trying to appeal to two different things so like yes. or like a bunch of different things so it's like you know mm -hmm. business owners as a niche like like i i wouldn't have i i could attempt to help restaurant owners mm -hmm. but I'm just going to miss the mark on a bunch of different things that they should be considering mm -hmm. with their marketing, you know, or if I was to try and go into, you know, helping doctors, like there's going to be regulations, 
that like yes. I need to be conscious of that if I'm trying to serve a bunch of different people, I get one doctor client, and I treat them the same. You know, mm-hmm. I could be getting them in trouble. So it's like, I find that whole topic interesting as well, just from like a, a niching downside of like, mm-hmm. there are so many different nuances to all of these different things that like, when you try to spread your focus across too many things you, you just do everything like a tenth of how it should be done like absolutely when when clients come to you is is, is niching down something that you sort of have to work out with them it when they yes for sure no i i i definitely will refer out people who i feel are beyond my niche for sure so i i think that and then when i have clients who who are marketing to everybody. I always, it's the old saying that when you market to everybody, you're actually marketing to nobody. And we have a lot of discussions on finding your ideal clients and really tapping into who you want to work with and why you want to work with them and why it's your demographic. I mean, everybody wants to say like, oh, I just want affluent people who are going to give me all their money because they have the money to give, but there's, that could be completely far off of who your actual ideal client is. And that client might really suck as a client because maybe they're going to be more nitpicky and require more from you because they're expecting X, Y, Z that you weren't planning ahead. So this, this idea that you want just people who have money, this like mythical, like, Oh, this, I don't know, 35 to 55 Joe blow who just has money to burn on your exact product. Like that's, that's such a, an unrealistic expectation for your clients. And you really need to niche down and really think about who it is you want to serve, why you want to serve them, what those pain points are that are going to really resonate with your ideal client and what you're trying to solve. Because I feel like the businesses that really are, have a a legacy to to leave behind are the ones that really are solving real problems. Mm -hmm. And, And even if that problem seems petty to one person, it might be really important to another. And I think that's what I want to leave with my businesses and I want to to leave that legacy of helping people help other people because that's that's the point. I think that's the point is to leave the place better than you than you started it and and to have that connection with your community. And I really want to I, I emphasize that with my clients, like fostering that community, even if it's not your like your zip code community that we have here. I mean, the, the online community is, is, is just the same as that sphere of creating connections that matter and solving problems for people and, and making a difference in someone's life. And that's, you've got to niche down to find those people who you are really trying to make a difference for. 100%. I mean, I, I was particularly seeing with you know, coaches and consultants that mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that want to, they want to teach. And it's like, hey, teaching is fantastic. But yeah, what problem are we actually solving? Like what is improving in their life through getting whatever information or whatever you're trying to guide them through? Because just learning something isn't the end goal. That's not why people yeah. you know, invest thousands of dollars. Yes, I mean, learning is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, like lifelong learner, but lifelong doer is more important. So like, what are you doing for the world? Not just, I mean, I am a firm believer in education. I I teach courses. So obviously I want people to learn from me, but it's all about what you're doing with that information that really matters. 100%. And do you, how do you find that your clients when they're first getting, getting started with you, are they able to start doing right away or like, you know, what's, what's the process when they get started? 
whether they want to or not, they start doing right away. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely attract a certain client. I, I'm, I'm a go-getter type A, a little bit OCD, and I will hound you horribly. But no, I mean, we, we start from the very first meeting, from our very first meeting. At the end of the meeting, I give them what I, we call, you know, action projects or action steps. So this is the, this is the action I'm expecting to hear about in the next one, two, three, seven days, anytime between our meeting and they have action steps. So if they don't get me that information by the next time we're meeting, it's just going to snowball because I'm going to give them more things to do that next week. And so everything's on a timeline because the point is for me anyway, I don't work with, generally speaking, I don't work with my clients forever. I don't want them to work with me forever. I want them to find the pain to, they come with me to me with a pain problem. And I solve that for them. And I, let them go on to the world. And if they want to come back to me the next time they have a different pain problem, great. I'm happy to be there for them. But to me, it's about educating, getting them to where they want to be, and then like letting them fly off into the sunset by themselves and with the knowledge that they have. So definitely when you're working with me, we set up a timeline. So it, maybe it's three, six months, nine months, 12, whatever it is, usually not more than a year and a half that I work with people um, thus far. But I want them to have an action step. So every time I meet with me, I expect them to have certain things done or started or, or progress in some respect so that we can build upon what they're learning and, and really see how it affects your business. Because talking about it is great and setting up a plan is great, but if you never put it into action, then you're doing the exact same thing you were doing before you were paying me, except now you have a, a pretty thing written down on a piece of paper, but until it, until it gets into action, it's nothing's going to happen. And, and if you want big changes to happen, you got to make big changes and that takes action. So my clients, whether they want to or not, that first class, that first session with me, get a, a big dose of painful reality. Good. Well, that, that, that's why they pay you. Right. And what, like yes. when, what's the typical pain point like when when people is there one that stands out a majority well, of the time the overwhelming one is always i'm not making enough money i'm not paying myself i my my employees suck i'm not i no one will listen to me i don't have any systems in place i'm working 24 7 and i, I can't get away i'm super stressed i'm burnt out i mean those i think those are the common things that a lot of business owners that or or they're stuck and they plateau. Like I'm making 10,000 a month, but now that's it. Like I, I can't go any further. I haven't been able to go any further. Like I want to get to 20. I want to get to $50,000 a month. Why can't I break that? And I think they're all just common things that, that my clients tend to come with. So a lot of it's money-based, a lot of it's because I do kind of specialize in getting the profits up, getting, looking at, at where the company might be hemorrhaging or leaking or, and just putting a stop to that and pushing forward and then implementing systems to help give them more time, give them their picture, big picture ideas, and then putting new projects in place that are ultimately, well, usually take a little effort and time to get started, but have a bigger payoff in the end. So I think a lot of my clients come to me with those big pain points of, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I'm not seeing growth. I can barely make my bills. I'm not paying myself. Those are all very common common reasons. And I think it's actually kind of funny that there's this catch 22 that a lot of business owners have with, oh, I can't afford a coach. As soon as I can, as soon as I get my business to a better place, then I'll be able to afford a coach, but you need a coach to get you to a better place. And I, sometimes you have to make that investment and 
just like it's scary to start a business, it's sometimes scary to make those educational and, and investment choices that you think aren't going to necessarily pay off. But then those are the ones that pay off the most because you've invested so much of your self in them that you have no choice but to make them work. So I think there's, it's funny to me how many of my clients, the best of my clients are the ones who were scraping together the money to pay me. And then they just took off like gangbusters in the first three, six months because they wanted it. They like knew they needed it. And so those people were just pushing for it. Is there one main investment or something that like, if someone's listening to this and they're sort of going through a lot of these issues of overworking, not paying themselves, um, you know, don't have the systems in place. Is there one or, or a couple of investments that you think are the most important? Uh, I think the first thing, and it's not even necessarily a monetary investment, it's a time investment. You need to look at your books and understand them. And it, even if that means hiring a bookkeeper or an accountant or a CPA for like an hour just to help you understand that, I think you'd be surprised how much you can learn about your business when you actually learn what's happening in your business. And I think particularly a lot of my um, brand new business owners, they just kind of have like an account. And if they're smart, at least they've started, like they have their own separate business account. They have their own separate credit cards for business, but they don't really ever track what goes in and out. It's just kind of like this general, oh, as long as I write the check for my business account, like it's fine, but you don't really ever look at your finances. So that is so key. I mean, just like your personal budget, just because you have the money doesn't mean you shouldn't know where your money is going. If you look at your credit card statement and suddenly realize that someone's scamming and taking 250 every month, wouldn't it be nice to know that earlier? So that's the, the number one. So that's really a, a more of a time investment. And if you really truly don't understand your books, it might be a monetary investment, but that's the number one I always tell people is that you kind of have to know if you're trying to grow your business and you're trying to make more money, you need to know what your current money is doing. And not even from a, I mean, yeah, if you want to look into stocks and bonds and start opening custodial IRAs for your kids, like that's great, but you got to start from the very beginning sometimes and what you don't know, you don't know. And so it's important to learn those things about your business. From then, I always recommend implementing systems. And again, those systems don't have to be monetary. You don't have to get the latest software and figure it out. You just need to create your SOP that's going to be, so your standard operating procedures that are going to allow you to eventually delegate the work that you don't want, push it off to somebody else, because most, well, I would say a lot of business owners can't afford necessarily to hire a team from the start, but when you have that ability, you want to be able to hand stuff off and immediately hire them and not have to train them on every single teeny tiny thing that you do. So the earlier you start creating your SOPs, the better, because then you can set those up and decide what, what, what can be moved around, what can't be moved around, what's not necessary anymore. Uh, and I think Again, that's a time investment. It's definitely a strong time investment because it does take, it's tedious. It's so tedious to do your SOPs, particularly if you're kind of come like after the fact to do them, they're tedious, but really important to set those up. Uh, if you can get those two locked in, you'd be surprised how much stuff falls into it. So working on just that productivity, efficiency, delegating, uh, knowing your books, you, you 
and being organized. Oh my gosh. Organization. I, I know I'm OCD. So it's really easy for me to organize because it's like my mind won't let me not color code. It's, it's tragic. Uh, but I think in a business, it's really important. You, you've got to keep your stuff organized or you're going to just spend so much time looking for that one invoice that may or may not be due and you don't remember because you didn't document it and why are you short this money and so organization is really important so um, again a lot of those aren't monetary it's just work you know there's yeah, a lot of I, work you have to do when you work but you, you it pays do, off you do. i mean i i found it interesting we went through um just a client's pricing you know because she was mm. talking around and it was yeah it, everyone's looking at how to scale up and make more money per month. And then uh, it's like, Oh, I need to bring on more clients to do that. And mm-hmm. then you look at it and it's like, no, you don't. If you bring yeah. on more clients at what you're charging, you will be working a hundred hours a week for yeah. $10 an hour. Like mm-hmm. you, you need to like, I, I, it was interesting. I mean, I just when I think a lot of people, get a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of fear when they're looking at their own stuff. And that's kind of why they need someone like yourself to come in objectively and say, Hey, you're actually really good at what you do. Like, why are you charging absolutely nothing? And Oh yeah. Know your worth, know your worth, know your value in the industry. And you know, you don't want to price your stuff just based on competitors because that could be you're shooting you in the foot. And then I, I mean, reverse engineer what you need to make. So if you know, if, if 10, let's like, I think people, a lot of people think like the six figure. So in America, you know, making $10,000 a month is like this mythical goal. Like everything will be better once you're making six figures. I, I don't know. But if you're trying to reverse engineer that, if that's your goal, like how many hours at what you're charging, is that going to mean? How many clients does that mean? How many like what's your actual nut a month? Like how much is your electric? How much is your rent? How much are you paying in independent contractors? What are you paying in insurance? And if you know what your nut is, like I have to make 5,000 in order to pay the absolute bare minimum of all my bills. I have to make this amount. So if I'm trying to make, you know, what's that other 5,000 going towards like my lifestyle? Is it going towards improvements? Is it going towards education? And so it's reverse engineering what you want to make, why you want to make it, what you need to make in order to keep your business afloat. And when I, I always recommend people, when you're making that nut, that that's what I call it, the nut, you need to also factor in your own pay. So your, your pay as the owner of the company should be as important as the rent. So if you have decided that you're going to make $5,000 a month, then that should be added on as your base of what you need to be paid and then reverse engineer everything that you're doing. So if you're only charging $10 an hour, you're going to need a heck of a lot of clients to make that nut and to, to make any kind of profit. So you have to kind of really strategically look at what you're making. And, and like you said, like, what are you, do you want to work a thousand hours a week? Because if you're going to work for that price, that's where you're going to be. So you have to really look at the value of your time. And at what point do you start hiring people to try to offset that? And it, it's, you have to look at the numbers in a different way and in a more creative way, if your goal is to scale and make it sustainable and, and scalable for a long term. So I, that's, you're absolutely right. Looking at what your value is and, and really breaking down. I definitely, I definitely adjust prices a lot and it scares my clients. I'm always 
I'm, I'm, I'm a money person, so I don't have a problem raising my prices. Um, if I think it's valuable and it's, it's what it's supposed to be, I'm not fleecing people, but it's important to know your worth and what your, what value you're bringing to the table. And it always surprises me how many of my clients balk at raising the price by $5. Even they're just like, Oh, no one's going to pay that. I'm like, well, not your, I mean, your ideal client will. So again, niching down, like find who your client is because they'll pay it if it's the appropriate price. I mean, again, like we're not trying to just be jerks and just charge $10,000 for a manicure or anything, but it's the value and the value that they see, not just the value that you think it has. So like, yeah, that imposter syndrome is prevalent. Um, perfectionism, procrastination, those are all really big horrible things that come up in business owners. And it's, um, yeah, it's part of what I do as part of what I teach is to not think that way because it's never going to get you where you want to go and anywhere in life. If you're just undervaluing yourself and your time and, um, you know, constantly telling yourself that you're not good enough for what it is, it's your passion. So don't do that. Yeah. I mean, don't do those things. (laughs) It's interesting. Like a business can kind of be like a, one of the best ways of personal development, I suppose, you're kind of forced to, if you want to grow the business, you kind of have to expand yourself and the way that you think. So you have to work through all of those things. And what about for yourself, Amanda? Like what, what do you see, you know, the business businesses that you have now, what's the impact you want to have through them in 15, 20 years? I think overall, I just want to know that I made a difference to, well, really, I mean, ultimately one person, my son, but, um, but for all my clients, I, I think that's why I work so hard all the time for this, why I work all the time as a, I was just a workaholic. I want people to know that they're worth more and to understand what they're giving to the world and to truly feel it in their bones. Because I think if you, if you feel it so inherently, you will just push that more of that out into the world. And and I want people to realize that they are worth so much more and that they can get so much more than where they are now. And they can not only get it, but deserve it. And they already deserve it. And I think that that's what I want my clients to go forth is just to really understand the value of themselves and of the, of the service or the product that they are putting out into the world and to pursue those passions and to not be afraid. I think there's so much fear associated with, well, just in the last couple of years, particularly, we all know that everybody's been uh, paralyzed by fear the last couple of years, but as a business owner, there's, you have to embrace that fear. And I want people to know that fear is okay. Failing is okay. There's nothing wrong with failing. If you learn from it and you progress and move on from it. And I want people to understand that, that there are no real mistakes in life, that it's just choices you make from day to day, whatever mistake you think that you've made, it's just propelling you forward into something else. And if you just have to think of it that way, that, that, I, mean, I have failed so many times. I've done, I've tried so many things that were really stupid. Thank God I didn't fall fail every time that I jumped out of a plane. Cause it would be bad, but it's, it's that mentality of teaching people to trust themselves, trust the process and trust their passion and, and know that it will get them there if they, 
if they truly uh, embrace everything that they are and, and let themselves shine out there. So I really just want to create that space where people can be themselves and, and not apologize for it and not feel ashamed of it and just be who they are and let that shine into the world and make everything better, make the world a better place just because you're in it. No other reason than that. And I think a lot of my business owners, a lot of the owners that I, I work with, that's what I want them to feel. I want them to feel it in their bones that they are making a difference in their industry. And um, because when you feel that you do make a difference. Yeah. What, what kind of difference do you think they're able to make once, once they do step into that? Like once they aren't afraid or they don't have, when they know their worth, like what, it depends what sort of on their changes industry. do you see? I mean, I see them reaching out to more people, reaching out more authentically and actually helping people with those pain points, whatever they may be. So, I mean, everybody's industry is different and what, what they're trying to accomplish, but you know, if I can get one family to be less stressed out, like yelling less at each other because they're feeling secure in their business, like that's a difference that I've made. If I can get one company to start donating 1% of their profits to a charity that really means a lot to them, like that's making a difference. If I can get someone to invest in their community and bring in more, more events that are philanthropic. That to me is, I'm always pushing that for clients because I, I, I feel like there's the giver's gain. The more you give out in the world, the more you're going to get back. And uh, I, I want to see that, but I think what it really comes down to when you really feel fully invested in yourself and what you're giving out in the world, you can be more authentic in it. And like I said, the clients that I usually work with, I want them to really flesh out those pain points, those, those, that they're solving for people and they're solving problems. And that's, that's what I want to facilitate them solving a problem in someone's life and making someone's life better. And even if it's something that seems petty to somebody, to one person, if it makes a difference in someone's life, then it's worth it. Awesome. And look, after this, Amanda, if anyone's listening, they want to get in contact with you and get your help, where can they do that? Social media is always a good place. My website's always a good place. I'm sure that you'll throw that into the show notes. Uh, there'll be lots of courses coming up. I just co-wrote a book and it just came out and there'll be lots of courses that come up subsequently with that, both virtually and in person. So that's look for us. We're going to be all over the place telling people how to live their best lives. And I'll, and I'll put the, the book link as well into the, awesome. into the show notes. So do you want to just say the name again? So in case anyone wants to be able to find it on, yes. on Amazon. It, it is the pursuit of badassery, how to create badass business abundance. And it's all about what we do in our daily lives. So these life hacks of productivity and efficiency and dealing with imposter syndrome and perfectionism. It's, it's literally what I teach my clients and how I live my life. And, and I love it. I teach it. I live it. So go out and check it out. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on, Amanda. And if anyone's listening, I hope they do go and check out The Pursuit of Badassery. Um, soon, courses to come. Very keen for that. But yeah, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much. I feel like I could talk to you all night long. So thank you so much for, for having me.